Amen, amen, amen. Good morning, everyone. How many of you have begun to read the book, The Master Plan of Evangelism? That is a great tool and a great resource to help us to become more fully devoted followers of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, would you open up with me to Mark chapter 3 and Luke chapter 6? We're going to begin this morning the first word that signifies, that communicates a principle, a truth that we see in the life of Jesus as he ministered and raised up disciples who became leaders in the church that literally impacted their world and 2,000 years ago we still feel the reverberations and the impact of those disciples and that we too as disciples of Jesus are making an impact in our world. Can you say amen? amen. So we're going to look this morning at selection. Selection. So I want to ask you a question. If you could choose any person from the past or the present to help you build a successful company, who would you pick? Any person, if you were able to sit down and have lunch or have dinner and tap into their resources, who would you choose? Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, maybe Warren Buffett, maybe Richard Sfamini, no. maybe Michael Jordan. So the question is, whoever you would think of, that you feel would be the more, most resourceful person to help you build that company or start that business, the question is, why would you select them? Maybe certain skills that they had, maybe an expertise that was necessary. It could be uh, their creative genius, their financial management. Maybe it was because of their marketing and sales ability or research and development, whatever it is, there's a reason why you would choose them, why you would select them. This morning, we want to look at the selection process or the selection technique of Jesus. Why did he choose or who did he choose and what was the process? We're going to find out that in the gospel ministry, in the work of God, God's method is always men and women. That's his method. He's not calling and choosing and sending angels to do his work. He has and limited himself to using people like you and me. Wow. Think about that. The church of Jesus Christ that you and I are a part of this morning, it all started with a few men and women that God chose. It all started that way. Jesus just called a few that would follow him and become his disciples. So this study that we are embarking on 
in our Sunday morning messages and our Wednesday night life groups. Hint, you know, we ever in, a, a, in school where the teacher would say, you're going to want to know this. This is going to be on the exam. Or this is something you really want to highlight. Well, you, don't, you never know what I'm saying that's going to be in Wednesday night life groups. So you want to take good notes. And then we will have outlines and notes for Wednesday night that the facilitators will walk through in, in the lesson. We had a great life group in ours. And I'm sure I heard good testimonies in each of the life groups of how uh, just it was really a, a profitable time that we shared together. But the study, this study is designed to observe the governing principles of Jesus' life and ministry with the goal of conforming our lives and ministries after the same pattern that Jesus laid out. There's no greater pattern, there's no greater model, there's no greater example than Jesus, than what he did, how he did it with his disciples, amen? Amen. Think about that. You know, I, I don't want to follow anybody else's pattern except the one that Jesus laid out. And those that are doing that, I'll follow that. And so let's look at the two references of Scripture. Let's look at Luke chapter 6 first. Verse 12, and it says, And it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray. And continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to him. And from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter. Andrew, his brother. James and John. Philip and Bartholomew. Matthew and Thomas. James, the son of Alphaeus. And Simon called the zealot. Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear and be healed of their diseases. Turn with me to Mark chapter 3. This is the same account but from a different perspective from one of the other gospel writers. They all saw the same thing, but they all had a different perspective of which they wrote. And as we read the different accounts, it helps to kind of fill in the gaps and give us those different perspectives. So Mark chapter 3, verse 13. And he went up on the mountain, and he called to him those he himself wanted and they came to him. Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. So let's look at selection this morning. Now, first let's go, go back a little bit. Before the selection, we find out in Luke's account, Luke's writing of the same occurrence as we see in Mark chapter 3, that before the selection, Jesus got alone in prayer. Matter of fact, the Bible says he continued all night in prayer. He held an all-nighter, a prayer vigil, a tarrying time. He prayed through the night. 
And when we look at Jesus' ministry at crucial times, at set times, regular times, Jesus would go to a place of prayer. He would invest serious amounts of time in prayer. He would continue all night in prayer. He would withdraw from the crowds and go and pray. He would get up a great while early, the Bible says, before it was day, and he would find a place to commune with his Father. Now think about that. Jesus, the holy, the pure, the sinless Son of God, God in the flesh, and he thought it necessary, he understood how critical and important it was to pray, to make prayer a priority. Someone has said that prayer is the best time saver. You say, well, I don't have time to pray. Well, you don't have time not to pray. Prayer is the best time saver. Prayer helps to reveal wisdom from God when you're about to make a decision. Prayer helps you to be sensitive to those open doors that you're to walk through or those closed doors that you're to step back from. Prayer develops something in you, a sensitivity to the voice of God, to, to God's guidance and God's directions that's so critical. Personally, my wife and I, in major decisions, most decisions, decisions that are of any kind of significance, we have learned to pray about them, to never take them for granted. Whatever we do to pray, we all ought to have that time of prayer where we just present things to God, lift things up to God, talk to God about, because it's so critical. That was Jesus' strategy in his life and his ministry. He would pray. He would get alone. What would he be doing? He would, he would be thinking through the plan and processing it with God, with his heavenly Father. He would determine who he would choose, who he would select. You see, Jesus was communing. He was fellowshipping. He was drawing near to his Father in prayer. I think it's important that we have a paradigm shift in our approach to prayer. That we have a paradigm shift. That we understand prayer is not just to get what we want. It's not bringing a prayer list a request to God. It's not just that we're using God to better our life or to have a good life. And so God, here's what we want to do. We want you to bless what we're going to do. No, prayer, the paradigm shift that we should have is that we understand prayer is fellowship and intimacy with our creator. That God created us. The Bible says that Jesus called, he wanted them to be with him. To be with him, to fellowship, to get to know him. And if we could have a paradigm shift and understand that prayer is not just to get what we want, but to get to know our God. To fellowship with him. To have intimacy, closeness. That's what God created us for. Amen? Amen. Let's look at the selection itself. In Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 14, notice it says he called them to himself. He called them to himself. See, Christianity is not a call to a religion. 
It's a call to a relationship. The first thing Jesus, he called them to himself. It wasn't to a doctrine or a dogma or a creed. He just said, come, I want you to be with me. And God speaks the same thing to you and I. It's very simple, but it's profound. It is a calling to himself that they might be with him. Time in God's word, time in prayer is that, just that. It is that developing of our relationship. John 15, 16, Jesus said, you did not choose me, I chose you. I ordained you that you would go forth and you would bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 3 and 4, the Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us. He chose us to be with him from the foundation of the earth. We are chosen. Turn to the person next to you. Say, you're chosen. Oh, tell them like you mean it. Amen. You and I were not an afterthought in the mind of God. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 it says, You were chosen from the foundation of the earth. Think about that. God had you on his mind from the foundation of the earth. You and I were not an afterthought. You and I, no matter what the circumstances of our birth, whether you were an accident, whether you were planned, whether the circumstances surrounding your birth were questionable, whatever it is, your upbringing, your past. You see, we have to understand, we might have come through our mother, but we came from God. We came from God. Jeremiah 1.4, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, God says. Think about that, how powerful that is. In the womb, God knew us. Before you were born, God said, I set you apart. Turn with me to, to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Verse 13, for you have formed me, my inward parts. You, you covered me in my mother's womb. Psalm 139, verse 13. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. You saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they are all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. I like that. It says in verse 16, in your book they were all written. God has a book written with your name on it. God has a purpose for your life and my life. And he has written a plan. He has written that book. And they have already been written down. And you and I are in the process of, of discerning that, of learning that, of walking in faith and obedience to be all that God created us to be. Can you say amen? amen. You and I are chosen by God. 
And one day we'll get to heaven. One day we will see our Redeemer. One day we will be with Jesus because he chose us. John Newton, who was uh, the writer of the most famous hymn that was ever written in all of history, Amazing Grace. He said that there's going to be three surprises in heaven. When he, he says, when I get to heaven, there's going to be three surprises. He said, there are going to be people there that I didn't expect to be. He said, surprise, there's going to be people I expected to be there are not going to be there. The third surprise was the greatest of all, he said, I'm going to be there. Think about that. The wonder, the surprise, the glory, the grace of being in heaven. So let's look at the basis of his selection. The basis of his selection. Turn with me to, to Acts chapter, chapter 4. The basis of his selection. You might want to know this. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized they had been with Jesus. They realized, they discerned that these men they were untrained, unlearned, but they had been with Jesus. The book writes, the book says this, and, and, and I like to, to just read it. It says, what is, more, what is more revealing about these men is that at first they do not impress us as being key men. None of them occupied prominent places in the synagogue, nor did any of them belong to the Levitical priesthood. For the most part, they were common laboring men, probably having no professional training beyond the rudiments of knowledge necessary for their vocation. Perhaps a few of them came from families of some considerable means, such as the sons of Zebedee, but none of them could have been considered wealthy. They had no academic degrees in the arts and philosophies of their day. Like their master, their formal education likely considered only of the synagogue schools. Most of them were raised in the poor section of the country around Galilee. Apparently, the only one of the twelve who came from the more refined region of Judea was Judas Iscariot. By any standard of sophisticated culture, then and now, they would surely be considered as a rather ragged collection of souls. One might wonder how Jesus could ever use them. They were impulsive, temperamental, easily offended, and all had all the prejudices of their environment. In short, these men selected by the Lord to be his assistants represented an average cross-section of society in their day. Not the kind of group one would expect to win the world for Christ. That's a good assessment and observation by the author of the book we're reading. But what was the basis of Jesus' selection they were available. They were available. Jesus would walk along in his teaching and preaching ministry and he would see people and he would tell them, come and follow me. 
We know that several of the fishermen, they dropped their nets and they followed him. They were available. They were available. They were there with a heart that said, we will follow. I want to ask you this morning, are you available for God to use you? Or do you have your schedules and your day timers and your phone calendars so full that God can't speak to you? God can't use you. You know, I was praying this morning at home, and I was just praying, God, just use me. Just use me. And, and it's a humbling thing to say that in the sense, you know what, God, you created me. And, you know, nobody likes to be used. I'm talking about in relationships, you know, uh, he's a user, he's an abuser. Um, I, I don't like to be used and abused. But, but when we say it to God, he's our creator. He made us. And if he wants to use us, we just say, God, we're available. God, use us for your glory. And God is not looking for great capabilities. He's looking for availabilities. He doesn't call the capable. He calls the available. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul observes this. He says, look according to your calling. Not many wise, not many noble, not many great are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Why? That in all things he might get the glory. That we might boast when God does use us and, and work through us and do awesome things and bless people and minister to people. We will all say, you know what, it's not us, it's him. He gets the glory. D.L. Moody, I mentioned him last week, mightily used by God, only had a sixth grade education. It was said of him, he weighed 280 pounds, but someone observed his 280 pound frame Every ounce was available to God. I'm not going to ask you how much you weigh this morning. But I am going to ask, is every pound, every ounce available for God? They were available, but they were also flexible. They were flexible. I, the author mentions that, that they were fed up with the dead religious system of their day. They weren't afraid to consider change and give their lives to something new. Sometimes we can get so restricted to dead religious traditions. Jesus even said to the Pharisees, because of your tradition... You make the word of God of none effect. They were more concerned with their religious traditions, their traditions of the elders and their culture, that they shut down revelation. They shut down the revelation of the word of God. He says, you make the word of God of none effect. But here we had these disciples. They were willing to try something new. They were willing to walk away from that which is dead. Some people, it amazes me, they will stay in a dead place, in dead churches, dead relationships, dead situations, just because, well, it's always been done that way. Well, my father went, my great-grandfather, his great-great-great-grandfather, and we just got to do it. No, God calls us to something new. God calls us to something different. We all heard, have heard of the well-worn uh, saying, maybe overused, but nonetheless true. 
It's a form of insanity to do the same thing over and over again and expect different results. What does God say in his word? I do a new thing. Amen? I do a new thing. It's a new year. We need new, uh, the, the newness of God's promises in our life. Let there be a flexibility in our life to try new things. To try new relationships. To try new activities. For some, coming to a life group on Wednesday night is a new thing. I'm going to talk to these people. You guys are frightening. Amen. Trying a new thing. Be flexible. Practical with your spouse. Try something new. Go somewhere different. Don't go to the same coffee place, the same restaurant. Go somewhere. Don't take the same route. Go somewhere new. Go for a walk. My wife and I sometimes will we'll go for a ride and 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 We'll just, we'll just go downtown. Sometimes we just get out of the car park, walk in the city. Who does that? No, not many people do it anymore, but it just, you see new things. We stopped in a new restaurant the other night. It was just, it was enjoyable. It was just new. Some of you couples, you have children, get out. Get out on a date. Go for a walk. Go somewhere different. You say, well, we can't get a babysitter. How about this? Find another couple who has children, and you watch their kids one night. And then we could trade off and they'll watch your kids. Find a way. Try something different. Go somewhere different. Get involved in a different ministry. Go on a missions trip. Do something different. Go to Israel. We're talking and planning for one in the fall, a trip. It's going to be limited, so you better get your money in. Do a new activity. My wife has gotten so much better at this. Is it okay if I just confess your sins? She said it is now. <laughs> but, but a lot of, there's been times I want to do, but now like I'll ask her something. Yes, let's do it. And I'm, I'm shocked. You really want, let's try, let's do thif, different things. And, 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 and you know, they were, they were willing. They had a flexibility. Nobody likes to be rigid. The Bible says that you need new wineskins for the new wine. Let's move on. They were teachable. They were teachable. You know, when we look at Bible characters, we tend to view them like they got a halo on their head. From, from the religious art of the Middle Ages down through the centuries, we see, you know, the apostles or the disciples, they had halos. They didn't have halos. They were just like you and I. They had shortcomings. They had faults. They had prejudices. They had issues. You know, what happens in the church sometimes when we get to know people, you know, they might be pastors, they might be leaders, and, 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 and we have them on a pedestal, and then we get to know them, and we realize they're, they're normal. You know, I told you the time when, when, when years ago... Uh, uh, a young man from another African country was coming to our church. He had to come by my house for some reason, and he saw me cutting the grass, and I had shorts on. And he looked at me, Pastor, you have shorts on. I said, well, what do you expect me to cut the grass with a three-piece suit? But it's that concept. Right. Right. 
They were teachable. They were, they were just like you and I, James and John, when they, would, they were preparing for an evangelistic crusade in Samaria. The people didn't want to receive Jesus. So you know what James and John said? Let's call down fire from heaven like Elijah. Jesus said, hey, calm down, guys. This, this, this was their evangelistic committee, uh, crusade committee. Imagine, call down fire. Jesus said, wait a minute. You don't know what kind of spirit you are of. And they had been with Jesus for a long time, and they want to call down fire on their enemies? Are you kidding me? That helps you to understand different people in the church. Don't be too judgmental. I've wanted to call fire down on some people. Peter, how about Peter? He, he had a problem. Every time he, he was very uh, impetuous, he was very outspoken, and he would speak up, and, and many times he'd, he'd say stu good stuff, but then he'd also say some stupid stuff. Right? One time, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, wow, you've had a revelation. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And then the next minute, he's telling Jesus, don't go to the cross. And Jesus has to say, get thee behind me, Satan. One moment he's speaking from heaven, the next moment he's speaking from hell. Hello? They all, they all had to learn and change and grow. And that can only happen when you're teachable. When you and I are willing to confess our need. And that's hard for leaders sometimes. That's hard for people who've been in the church so long. You know, they want everybody to think they got it all together. You don't. I don't. We're willing to learn. We keep changing. Amen? We, we, we want our hearts to be pliable to God. We want to humble ourselves. And the disciples, you would see them, they would, when, when, when Jesus was away from the crowds, they would ask questions. They didn't understand everything he was saying. Jesus, what did you mean by this parable? They would ask questions. They would receive correction. They would listen. You know, they were willing... They were willing to listen and learn. You know, the real question in life isn't what you have learned, but rather what you've learned after you know it all. That's really what the question is. What have you learned now that you know it all? What else? They were dependable. They were dependable. And again, we're looking at these characteristics and we're saying, you know what? We can grow in this. We can, we can develop this. Amen? Come on, say amen with me or else I'm going to have to keep working this until the second service they'll be coming in. They were dependable. They stayed with Jesus through the, through the times of training that were difficult. Following Jesus wasn't easy then. It's not easy now. And, you know, in John chapter 6, when Jesus began to talk about the discipleship process, when Jesus began to talk about the kind of commitment that was necessary to really follow him, you know what it says in John chapter 6? It says, many people said, this is a hard saying. Have you ever been in church? Have you ever heard a message and say, that's a hard saying? But you knew it was truth. Your flesh didn't like it. Your spirit did, though. But you knew it was truth. But they, they said, you know what? This is a hard saying. Who could hear it? And they turned away. And the Bible says they didn't follow him anymore. And, and there was a large group that turned away. 
from following Jesus at that point. And you know what Jesus did? He turned to the 12. He said, will you go away also? Notice Jesus didn't chase after the multitudes and say, well, let's renegotiate the deal. Let's, let's just, uh, let me compromise here. I, I don't want to lose too many people in my church. Let's rework this. Stay. Please stay. Don't leave. Don't go. We don't want you to leave our church, especially to go to that other church. No, he, he let them go and he turned to the 12. Are you going to go too? He wouldn't lessen the commitment. He, he tried and tested them to see if they would rise to the challenge of the dependability that says, I will stick with it even when it gets hard. That's why Paul told Timothy, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endure hardness. The storms came, the criticism came, the failures came, people left, and you know what? They stayed. They stayed. You know, I, I love this, this, not a poem, but it's whatever it is. It's not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who ears, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcomings, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, that the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst if he fails at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who never know victory nor defeat you see these disciples who were upcoming and future leaders who would carry on the work of the master they had the character qualities that counted an individual may lack education, natural abilities, but have exactly what it takes to be a disciple of the Lord. And as I bring this to a conclusion, psychologists say that your self-concept, your self-worth, the way you see yourself is largely determined by what you think the most important person in your life thinks about you. If that's true, then I want to highly recommend that you must make Jesus Christ the most important person in your life. Because in Christ, he says you're valuable. He says you're acceptable. He says you're forgiven. He says you're lovable. He says you are capable. It doesn't matter what anybody else says about you. Who are you going to believe? God? Or are you going to believe what people say? And the bigger question is, who are you going to live for? The approval of other people? The likes on social media? The followings on social media? Are you going to live for the one who died for you? And you see, when God looks at you and I, and I close with this, just like those early disciples with all their shortcomings and their failures and their seeming lack of ability, God saw a potential in them. I don't know about you, but if I was starting 
the gospel ministry, I don't know if I would have chose the way Jesus chose. But see, that would be looking the way man sees on the outward. But God sees in the heart. And aren't you glad this morning God looks a little deeper? So when God saw a liar, I mean, when, when people saw a liar, God saw the father of the faithful, Abraham. When man saw a shepherd boy, God saw a king in David. When man saw a cheater and a deceiver, God saw a prince with God in Jacob. When people saw a persecutor, God saw an apostle in Paul. When man saw a teenage girl, God saw the mother of Jesus in Mary. When man saw a, fate, a fearful farmer, God saw a mighty man of valor in Gideon. When man saw a poor prisoner, God saw a powerful prince in Egypt in Joseph. So I want to tell you this morning, in God's selection, it doesn't matter what people see. It matters what God sees. Amen. Would you stand together with me this morning? In the selection of God, God sees your potential. God sees what you can become. You know, potential is those latent qualities or abilities that may be developed and lead to greater effectiveness and usefulness. God sees your potential. God sees my potential. And he's still working after all these years in my life and in your life to bring that out. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the lessons from the life of Jesus. No greater discipler than Jesus. No greater one to learn from in his selection, God. Father, I pray that we would learn the principles and the lessons, applying them to our life, but also uh, not only to become a disciple, but to become a disciple maker. May we have the same perspective and the same insight Jesus had into humanity to see beyond what people see, God, to see the potential that you have placed in each and every one of us. And God, to call it forth, God. Lord, we pray today your blessing upon the word of God, upon the people of God. Let the spirit of God continue to work in us to make us fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ today. We pray in his name and everyone said, amen, amen and amen. God bless you. Lord be with you.